Welcome to the podcast, Tapping Creativity, with myself, Matthew C. Temple. And each week, we're going to dive into questions and issues and inspiration around creativity and the creative process. This week, I am talking with Jessica Care Moore. You are your greatest resource. And at, when everything else is missing, I always have poems. I was like, I can write myself out of any of this shit, man. Yeah. I remember someone was at a workshop in Kansas City and this this young lady who's a poet said, well, I didn't quit my job because of my daughter. Do you feel like it's irresponsible? You know, and I said, well, I don't have a job, a day job to show my son that I am possible. Art can actually uh, be food. Welcome to the show. This week, I am talking with Jessica Care Moore, uh, fantastically exciting. She is the founder and CEO of More Black Press, the executive producer of Black Women Rock, very true, and founder of the literacy-driven Jess Care Moore Foundation. She is an internationally renowned poet, playwright, performance artist, and producer, has won numerous awards, has published numerous books, and her works have been published additionally in numerous literary collections, as well as she has performed on stages all over the world, including some very exciting places, the Apollo Theater, Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, the London Institute of Contemporary Arts, and I'm sure many, many more. Jessica currently lives and writes in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, so we can also thank Jessica in part for uh, helping us change our administration. So right. <laughs> that's really exciting. And uh, her most recent book is uh, We Want Our Bodies Back, published by HarperCollins. And welcome, Jessica, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you. So I do have to ask, though, your name, Jessica Caremore, is all of that a given name? I'm a Moore. My family is the yeah. other Moores. My father is Tom Moore. Uh, Care, it was a nickname I got in college. I was an activist on Michigan State and Wayne State University's campuses in here in Michigan. And my best friend, Ken, used to call me Care. He said, oh, Jessica, you care about everybody. You want to save the world. You want to help the homeless. You just care, care, care. Just a little care. So Care became just like a nickname. And then when I started reading poems on the open mic back in like 93, 94, um, it just came. I was like, yo, I'm just going to use care. And I was like, well, let me just use use my name. I never wanted to change my name, yeah. um, but I like the idea of care in the middle. And then I did the Apollo, moved to New York City, went on the Apollo. And when I went on, Steve Harvey asked me my name. I said, Jessica Care Moore. And I haven't been able to turn back since then. <laughs> you know, it's funny because after the Apollo, you know, started coming on national television, I remember sitting at a DTW at the airport. I was sitting there and a girl looked at me. She's sitting next to me. She said, are you Jessica Caremore? And I was like, that was the first time, you know, someone had said my full name and that, you know, and I was like, well, yeah, 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 that's, that's me. Okay. And I just uh, haven't been able to not, so I've kept it and it works. It works for my heart. I um, love it. My heart is at the center of all my work. And so, yeah, I, I, I do tend to care more than probably normal people, but poets, <laughs> that's what poets do. We feel everything and we, and we feel everybody. And so, we, and that's what you have the power to write about it. It's a blessing. So that's kind of wonderful. Cause I think one of the things that I was curious about for you is obviously there are a million ways that we can engage in doing our part for the world. Yeah. Um, you've chosen to do it through writing through poetry through the spoken word through the written word and i'm curious why when you were in college and you were this activist like why did you choose the spoken and written word as your mode of making a difference 
Well, I was. I went to Michigan State. I was a, a journalism and political science double major. So I thought I was going to be a political commentator. I wanted to do documentary film, actually. I wanted to tell stories. Poetry was something I always wrote, but I never thought I could make a living doing that. No one ever, you know, poet. They're like, oh, you're going to be broke your whole life. <laughs> you're going to be poor. And, and sometimes I have been. And so I was a journalist first. I worked for, I actually wrote the TV news. I was on the... And uh, I was on an internship at Channel 50, which is the 10 o'clock news then. And I was so fast at writing the newscast because I knew how to write 30 seconds and add a sound bite. And so I knew how to do it. So I would get done really early writing the newscast. And then I would just be writing poems. So I was kind of moonlighting as a poet at the jazz clubs. And some of the anchors came out once and they were at this blues spot at, at Baker's Keyboard Lounge, a very famous jazz club, actually. And they were like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I'm reading some poems with the band, you know. Um, so it was always something that was in me to do, but never a, a life choice, like for a career. And then, so I feel like poetry really just chose me mm. as an activist and wanted to change the world in some kind of way. And that was always my energy. And I found that with poems that I could touch people in a different way, instead of just like on a loudspeaker or screaming at people saying, we must change, like whatever the chant. And right now, of course, it's Black Lives Matter, which, you know, that's been, an, that's in the DNA of my work. You know, it's not a, it's not a hashtag for me. That's been, you know, a part of my existence. I grew up in black Detroit and, you know, the idea of black lives not mattering didn't even exist for me. You know, <laughs> I grew up in Detroit because we're like, we're like one of the few black cities left on in the country. And I grew up, um, if you're familiar with Coleman A. Young, you know, the mm -hmm. mayor that I had, he was a mayor from 73 to 94. That's like my entire adult life. I grew up on a block with that had fathers in every household. Yeah. It's not even something I found remarkable. I just grew up in a different kind of on a way in a very working class neighborhood. I'm rich folks, just folk, folks with jobs. My father was a construction worker. My mother worked for the phone company. Regular wow. people. Yeah. I'm Michigan, Michigan blue collar workers, you know, and so that's the kind of poet that I became very blue collar and um, very ear to the street and very about like my work ethic is just that's the unmatchable thing. Yeah, it's better poets for you, sure. You know, that's interesting. And I, I, I wanted to ask you about that your creative, you know, kind of your creative process. And what you just yeah. said was really fascinating to me because I think one of the things that when creatives get stuck, I always say to people, like, if you have a job, you actually manage to find some way magically to get up and go to that job. And then you magically get home. And guess what? If you're going to get fired for being late, you magically find a way to get there on time. But yet, if you have a creative work that you want to do, we can you can go you know weeks months years decades without doing it and you just said something that was really interesting to me i was like of this relationship to working class people and being a like a working class artist and i just yeah. think that's fantastic so like tell me about that process i mean that's it's definitely who i am i've walked in it and i mean that's so when i became i went to new york and i became very well known right i went on the apollo i won the apollo five weeks in a row but the first thing in my head was so how do I turn this into something that's going to last me a little bit longer than this moment? I was never interested in being famous. I was really interested in building a life around my art. And so More Black Press in 1997 became that thing. So I created More Black Press. I started my own press because just being from Detroit, my family, I mean, even when I won the Apollo, they were like, they're like, you're a poet. And I was like, yeah, like, what else do you do? You know, like, that, like that's not a job. And so More Black Press becoming a book publisher became my job that I gave to myself that as you know, I, I published the words on fit in my mouth. I sold several thousand copies of that book. And then I got Saul Williams lived around the corner. So Saul walked his manuscript over. He was my buddy at the time. He said, let's, let's make you the, the Haki Matabuti, who's the third world press owner in, in Chicago. 
uh, of our generation. And I was like, I don't know about all that, but I'll publish your book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my five grand that I had from gigs. And I published Saul, the seventh octave, the early writings of Saul Williams, you know, before he got his deal with MTV and went on to do other books with other people. And so um, I became the, the business minded poet. And what's been deep about COVID, like this is, you know, 25 years later, right? I'm, you know, been working for that long as a poet. I'm in Detroit. My book is coming out in March and all my gigs are canceled. I mean, I just, I can't even explain like how much I cried. People just don't understand how artists work, but like the majority of my money comes in February, March, and April. So that's Black History Month. Um, There's a Women's History Month and and April's National Poetry Month. My book was coming out, came out the end of March. I was on a tour all over the country that I spent so much time setting up. Not HarperCollins. I set up my own tour because I have, I've been working for so long. I know people had a... Uh, a residency in Boston has Susan Taylor hosting a party for me in New York City. It was gonna be fabulous, <laughs> and they all—I watched them all. And the college gigs were good-paying gigs, yeah. so I watched them all go away. And um, and then my but my then my friends started dying, literally from COVID. And so I was like, Wow, I, I can't care about money. Uh, so who cares? So I lost some money, but now I'm losing people. And, and so just one outweighed the other, and I had to really figure out how to switch gears. And so I took. Um, I I was never this person. I did Facebook Live, Instagram Live. I don't do that. You know, I just never did. I thought it was corny. I was like, I'm not doing that. It's for kids, you know? Like, I'm on the road. I'm with real people. I'm I'm a touch person. I'm in person. And when I came home, I want to be home. My son, I don't want everyone in my house. But here I am now. My step and repeat is in my living room because I had to go where the people were. And everybody was online. I said, well, Jessica, you had to go online. And so I created a virtual independent bookstore tour. So I started, you know, I really like the independent booksellers had to close up because of COVID. So we had to help them. So, I mean, Revolution Books in New York, Source Booksellers in Detroit, any independent black revolutionary bookstore I can think of, we did a reading with them. And so it helped keep the book alive, but it didn't support me. And so I had to figure out another stream of income. And so I started doing what I call corporate storytelling. Because now at the, now with the other pandemic, COVID, then we have, suddenly people are paying attention to racism. Right. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. fine then. You know, because I mean, we want our bodies back, you know, my book, you know, that you're going to get a copy of. I Can't Breathe is the name of one of the poems in the book. Like, this is George Floyd's last words. That was already, that was in my book. That was for Air Garner. That's for when I was in, that's a poem for Ferguson. You know, so the book is so timely into what's happening. And so that's why I didn't want the book to just die away, you know, um, with the pandemic and not being able to tour. And so I just, and these corporations started calling me, folks started calling me from nonprofits, trying to figure out how to connect themselves to community. And as right. a poet, I know how to do it. Like you can't touch a market, a little kid with a marketing degree cannot touch me. But and I, you, and, you said, you said something though, that I think is, that I think is also fascinating, which is that all of a sudden there were these things that were coming out and you were really bummed out and you said, like you cried and you cried and then you did something that I think is really key for artists and creatives. And it's something I think that gets forgotten in the process is that if you wanted something that you could count on to be a certain way at a certain time, you probably would have chosen a different path because there are like, whether you're a doctor or whether you are an accountant or whether you work for the postal service, like there are jobs where you know that you can expect a certain something tomorrow. You know that there are jobs that if I get this job this year, that I get a 5% raise every year. And I kind of know where that goes. And you didn't choose that. 
and didn't choose that. I'm crazy. My, in my family, they're all those people. My brothers and sisters all have jobs and they never stopped working during the pandemic. My sister does IT. My other, my brother owns a FedEx truck. The other one works at the post office. They're, they've all been working. Yeah. You know, I'm the... But you did something when you said, when you talked about that, when you like hit this block, because every creative is going to hit that. When you're on your creative journey, you're on a hero's mm-hmm. journey and you don't get to be a hero without a whole lot of shit coming at you. Like you don't get to be Luke Skywalker and less your mom's dead the people who raised you are dead and your dad turns out to be darth vader right like you want to be the hero that's the shit that comes with the territory and as an artist i want to say you are also a hero which also therefore means that you're not going to get an easy ride it's going to be really really hard as hard as katniss aberdeen as hard as luke skywalker and you talked about that. So tell me, talk to me a little bit about like, when, when you hit, I'm not scared of that life. I like that life. <laughs> yeah. But it's also hard because you just had, you had a breakdown. You're like, oh my God, I've made this book. I, I put all this energy in and now I have to sort of retool. So how does that work for you? And what are some of those processes that you use to break past, whether it's a blockage from the outside or inside in order to really keep moving? My album, Black Tea, The Legend of Jesse James, came out in 2015. Talib Kweli gave me a record deal, put my record out. But the reason why that record happened is because in December of 20, was it 2014 or 2013, I, I had these, a couple gigs lined up that were good pay gigs that got canceled. Really horrible promoter canceled on me at the very last minute. And I think it was in January. And I was traumatized because it was like, you know, I, that's what, those are hard months for me. So I'm like, oh, this money... I need this to get to the next month, right? And um, you kind of live and get, you might be getting, but see, we live, we might get seven or $10,000 in a gig. So that carries you for a few months. And so the gig got canceled and I was sitting there like, what am I going to do? And then I met um, haphazardly through Twitter and whatever, being introduced to Jose James, who's a wonderful, you know, blues jazz artist that people know about vocalese. Jose's amazing. I didn't know him at the time. Um, reached out to him on Twitter. He uh, invited me to a show. I happened to be in L.A. He was a big fan of my work. I brought my book. We became fast friends. And just listening and watching him work, I had never. I was always trying to find the correct sound for me to make an album. I was working on a rock and roll. I was I'm a rock and roll head. I wanted to make a rock and roll record. And I was like, Jose, what? And, the, and Gregory Porter too. I was watching what they do with words because they're really just poets singing poetry. I was like. This is what I need to do. I need to I need to figure this out, this sound. And um, I didn't have, you know, I lost that money. I came back from California and I was in L.A. when the gigs got canceled. Well, you're, you don't want to be in L.A. losing money. So I might have <laughs> rent a car. I'm in L.A. I'm spending money in Santa Monica. And I come home and it's like I have to figure out I have to get to February because February is Black History Month. So I called Wayne State University and I had friends there. I said, hey. Um, I'm working on this project. I hadn't even started working on the project. I'm working on this thing. I'm doing this jazz soul project. Um, you guys, can you think you can book me for like early February? So I figured I could be late in my bills in January, early February. I got a gig, put a band together. They said yes. They gave me, a, you know, gave me my, gave me, I said, well, I need a deposit. <laughs> so yeah. I got a deposit. And then I went writing and I started writing. And I wrote that album based on necessity. Like I created Black Tea and it's one of the best things I've ever done. John Dixon, I got one my this piano player in Detroit and he listened to my poems and we created a really magical musical piece. And I premiered it in February in Prospect. So I was like, this is gonna be the premiere of Black Tea, The Legend of Jesse James. It's a project, a music project. And so I just premiered it at Wayne State University and then later I raised the money through a, a GoFundMe or whatever, they were a Kickstarter. And then Talib Kweli, we went to Brooklyn, uh, let him hear it. 
And he was like, what are you going to do with this album? And I was like, well, what are you going to do with it? You know, and so, you know, it's also about, you know, artists understanding that you do have everything that you need, right? That you are your greatest resource. And at, when everything else is missing, I always have poems. I was like, I can write myself out of any of this shit, man. Yeah. I remember someone was at a workshop in Kansas City and this, this young lady who's a poet said, well, I didn't quit my job because of my daughter. So how do you, do you feel like it's irresponsible? You know, like yeah. really, like that you, you know, and I said, well, you know, I, I don't have a job, a day job to show my son that I am possible. And now my 14 year old plays piano, writes poetry, is writing an animated series for Netflix in his head. You know, it wants to be a filmmaker, wants to maybe be a music. I don't know, but he knows that art can art can actually uh, be food. Art is exactly. I mean, it's it's the it's actually you know as an artist, it's kind of our job to to push society forward you know we always right. think oh i want i want to go vote for somebody i'm gonna vote for bernie i'm gonna vote for elizabeth i'm gonna vote for kamala i'm gonna vote for biden like these people are following the creatives and you said something though and i want to talk about this like this woman that, that you said who didn't quit her job because of her kids i think that within the creative process and you're speaking to this so much is that there isn't necessarily one way to do it. You know, Toni Morrison wrote, uh, wrote beloved, um, uh, working. she was working. She got up, you know, she got up early in the morning and I tell people, I said, you know what, just because Toni Morrison does it doesn't mean you can do it and you can't feel bad if you can't do it. But if you can't necessarily get up an hour before your kids wake up and write, maybe you can get someone to watch the kids for two hours on on Saturday morning or Sunday morning and just go sit at a cafe, buy a buck sixty two coffee or whatever it costs in your town and say, it's costing me a buck sixty two to sit here and write for two hours. Whatever junk comes out of me, because we all know that sometimes, particularly if you're feeling like, oh, my God, this time is so precious, I need to make my thing is like, well, now you're too stressed. So now you just have to say, you know what, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna write junk. And if you write two hours of shit every week for a year, eventually, you're gonna gonna go, yes. And sometimes you need to just like watch a dumb uh, TV show and laugh. Like, you know, sometimes I really like when I'm like, when I sometimes feel like I'm going crazy, like, oh my God, I haven't written anything. I need to write something. Sometimes I'm like, no, Jessica, go watch a good, go watch one of your favorite movies. And, And that's, that's what I'll go read one of your favorite author's books. My book, my, my house is surrounded by books. So I just pull a book off the shelf and I read, I read Alice Walker or I go back to Toni Morrison. I'm rereading Toni Morrison now yeah. because you have to have some time to read Toni Morrison. Yeah. So I'm reading The Bluest Eye again because I read it when I was so young that I was like, I need to read it now. Now that I know all these big words, you know, and I can figure it out. Um, <laughs> Toni Morrison is not for people who don't, you know, study yeah. literature. And so you know, but just a better. So now I have more time. And so I go back to those spaces. And after you read, like you read a couple of chapters or something else, it really does help inform. It does help inform me. Totally. You know, when you get stuck in, in your own head, you know, I was like, well, let me see what somebody else has to say about that. And that's why putting it out there, I think is important. You kind of alluded to this when you were talking about, hey, you know, I booked this gig for something that I hadn't even created yet. And yeah. and I think one of the things is that as a creative, I've found also that sometimes I, I feel like the conditions need to be right. And the reality is, is that that's almost never the case. So it's actually saying whatever the condition is in this moment, this is exactly the right condition. And, you know, when I made my last doc, uh, documentary, it's called Hardball, the Girls of Summer, about women who play baseball. And oh, play it, baseball. Yeah, you did. I love it. Second base, shortstop. All right. Oh. 
family plays. We're baseball players. Amazing. Yeah. So I did this movie and I followed the U.S. Women's National Baseball Team to the World Cup. And, and then these yeah. women who, like, you know, three of the women in the movie actually played professional minor league baseball. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. But the thing was to get that thing going, like I'd wanted to do it for a couple of years. And then finally I thought, you know what? It's something I've been thinking about. And I basically, I got this email from someone who was just starting up a crowdfunding uh, uh, company for specifically for indie filmmakers called Seed and Spark. She said, if you're, if you are in production on a, on a feature documentary, we're doing a competition. And I was like, well, I'm in production. I had, I had actually done a little bit of my, my first bit of research I recorded. So I actually had one piece of video. I'm like, well, that means I'm in production. And yes. I was like, okay. And they said, well, give us all this, all of this stuff. And so I prepared all of my stuff and I sent it in and I ended up not working with them at the end. We did, you know, the campaign, I wasn't quite ready for the campaign, okay. but what ultimately happened was that now after I did all that, now I'm full on making a movie. And a few months later, I, you know, as I was talking to people, I was able to go out and actually raise some money and get a couple of investors and all of the stuff was moving. But it's kind of like, you know, it's a little bit about what you were talking about, which is that sometimes you need all of these things to line up. But when they're not lining up, you have to say, come back and say, well, what's in my in my power at this moment that I can do. And I think that's really important for artists, particularly anyone who's struggling at some point, is at any point where there's a blockage of some type is to say, you know what? Yeah. There are all these reasons why I can't do something, but what can I do right now? Whether it's time, like I've, I'm I'm I've got a full-time job and I'm a single mom. Great. You have limited time. What do you get to fit into those tiny little windows? Cause if you brush your teeth and you check Facebook, it means you actually do have time. It might not feel like enough, but when I'm yeah. writing, like I'm writing, I'm, I'm working on a book right now. And yeah. just because of the way things are going, uh, it's a lot of stuff going on. I've been finding that I'm not writing as much as I want to, but so online distracted. I'm so, un- I'm so distracted. Like I'm a kid, like on this stupid Instagram and yeah. Facebook, you know, I'm on social media more than I ever have been and, ever. Right. And so what I basically, you know what, I mean, I sit down and I write and sometimes, you know, I like to write five days a week when I'm really working on a project like I am right now. But lately I've been getting about three days and I usually like to write one to 2000 words when I sit down at least, you know, right. and lately yeah. I'm writing 500 to 700 words. You but know, you're doing, but you're doing some consistent writing, which is really, really not easy to do. It's you know, it's ta- it, it's taken me way longer than it should have. But I have 10,000 words towards this yeah, book. That's no, that's good. In, no, I, you're inspiring me to get off my butt. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing a young adult novel in verse my first time doing that. And um, it's not as easy as I thought. I thought I could just whip it out, you know, in a day. And I'm like, OK, wait, it's <laughs> taking a little more time. And then I'm distracted by well, I'm, I'm constantly online now. Yeah, right. And so right. I, I'm still gigging. Yeah, yeah, from my house. And as um, someone like you, I actually want to speak to that too, because I think the other thing that I see a lot with creatives is someone will, like I worked with this woman who was, she had two advanced degrees and she was working on a book and she needed help with it. And one of the things that was, she was getting stuck is she had been kind of thinking about it for years, but every time she sat down to work on it, she was yeah. disheartened because she's written dissertations. She's written all this stuff. She's like, I'm a good writer. But when I sit right. down to write this novel, Mm, I'm not good at it. And it's like, so I'm a good writer, but I'm struggling with this. So therefore I'm disheartened. And I'm saying, you know, every time you sit down to work on something, if it's actually really the creative process, then you're not good at it. And you might be a good novel writer, but you're not good at writing this novel yet because you haven't even written it. 
So you're bad mm-hmm. at this novel until you succeed at it and then it's done. And if you've written poetry, in your case, you can be a fantastic poet and you're sitting down to write a novel and it's like, well, actually now you're not a good novel writer and that's a good thing because there's so much creativity in being like, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm writing more. I've written, uh, COVID, I've written uh, some more. I went back to my journalist hat and wrote some freelance articles for the Free Press and the Metro Times. And they're not as easy to write yeah. as they used to be. You know, um, I'm writing an essay now on uh, Patti Smith, you know, and my connection to Patti Smith and in uh, my mystical, magical way that I feel connected to this woman. And um, <laughs> and it's not as easy to write the essay on Patti Smith. Yeah. It is. I mean, I can kick out some poems, man, you know. Um not always great ones, but I can write them, you know, yeah. but the essay takes more time. Um, the uh, film I'm working at, I have film scripts. I've been working on film scripts for, for years. Not as, That's not my comfort level. I'm not confident in it. So I've, I kind of have stayed in my lane. And I think that's what writers and creatives have to remember to do also is to get the hell out of that space. Yes. Get out that comfort zone. And even if it's not great, just um, send it. Sent, I've sent some of my drafts and my scripts to some of my filmmaker friends and said, just give me feedback. Like, what do you think? How am I doing on dialogue? Yeah. You know, dialogue is, I, I'm I'm strong at prose. And, you know, I think I got some sexy dialogue. I'm even working on my 15 minutes of comedy sketch. Are you kidding me? I've been, I was in Yellow Springs all summer with, you know, Dave Chappelle built this cornfield in the middle of damn Yellow Springs, Ohio. That was my only big show in, and during 2020 was in the middle of a cornfield with a real audience. Right. Um, and, but that was to me also an example of artists creating sanctuary and creating space um, during a time when, you know, we were taking even risks with our lives. So they was able to get us COVID tested every Got three it. days so we could be wow. safe. But it's, it's a testament to the power of art and what artists can do. Yeah. That, you know, we really can. We actually do have lots of power. And, yeah, if you tap in and, and it's not an easy life, but. I'm so free. Like I haven't, you know, had to work for anybody in a long time. And I'm not rich, but I'm not poor. I'm, I'm, I make a living and I've traveled and I own myself. Like no one owns what I say. And you, and you, and you do something, which is that actually you are sharing your story. And this is a, a topic I'm working on. And at some point we'll probably talk about this, my next documentary, but it's actually about poets. It's that because when you have a story and you share it, you're actually sharing what you have that is so unique to you. And it's this great value. And I think sometimes, particularly in challenging times, is that you might have nothing, or you might have everything. But what really matters is your voice and your story, you know, and so to that, I want to kind of like, as we kind of wrap up here, I want you to tell me about the title poem of your new book, We Want Our Bodies Back. Uh, What was the inspiration? And Kind of, what do you hope to accomplish through sharing that story with us? Mm-hmm. We want our bodies back. Was uh, written for Sandra Bland. Uh, Sandra Bland just stayed with me. Her story just hurts my heart. You know, I've I, I've been pulled over by police. I know what that feels like when you haven't done anything and then you're being treated as if you're a murderer. You know, if you ran a stop sign, some small traffic violation, and um, the the PTSD that kicks in. You know, like your heart rate goes up. You know, you can talk to any black or brown person in the world and they'll tell you this. And um, I wanted some redemption for her. You know, they ended up, you know, giving her family a couple million dollars, but nobody's gone to jail for her murder. They settled out of court. That's wrongful death. I mean, if it's a wrongful death, then who killed her? What do you mean wrongful death? You know what I mean? And it went from suicide to wrongful death. It's a wrongful death and somebody killed her. Like what's And so this is my response to that. And we want our bodies back is a, a call to action. It's a prayer. 
It's a chant. We know how to get our bodies in our in the air. We know how to use our bodies to tell a story of middle passage, of survival, of lichings. You have always loved our bodies under your control. Don't you touch me. Don't take me down. Don't come near my window. Don't come near my car door. You know, it's like the, the, the poem isn't, in my opinion, isn't sophisticated. But when I've read it in places with people, I mean, it's pretty overwhelming, the response, the connection that people feel it in a way because it's, it's, it's I'm crying out. It's it's saying it's a statement like we want it back. Um, we want our bodies back. It's, it's not just that, though. There's lots of love poems. There's poems in homage to Ozzie Davis and Ruby Dee, who were very dear to me. There's a homage to Sonia Sanchez at 86, who has been my one of my other mothers and mentors. There's poems for Gwendolyn Brooks. These are the people who have raised me um, indirectly and who are taking care of me. And so Amazing. it's so it's a, yeah. So the, it's a it's a good book. It's a good collection. I think so. Well, so. thank you. Well, so it's so exciting. So we want our bodies back is available and out now. Uh, Harper Collins and uh, Jessica Caremore. Uh, I am so glad that you were given that nickname. It's a great one. It it just emanates right right through you. Uh, you know, the world needs uh, needs articulate stories uh, and people like you who are actually able to be a beacon for the articulation of of thinking, of thought, of who I am and why my life matters, why our lives matters is such an inspiration to uh, to poets, to artists, to creatives, to activists, young, old, black, white and brown and every shade in between so thank you so much for coming on the show we're um, needed we're needed we're needed we're needed like we're the ones that are going to shape this thing and make it better so sure. yeah yeah i know when i look for your baseball documentary send it to me please all right <laughs> you got it, it. <laughs> yeah, I love to see it. yes thank you so much for having me i appreciate it it was a pleasure we'll talk again soon okay all right thank you all right, bye bye bye